Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. Here's a message from friends of the show. My Lord Elderbrain, Graxalor reporting. I have made it to the surface with the psychic field generator intact. Unfortunately, I ran into a contingent of drow on the way, but they weren't very hard to convince to let me pass. Upon reaching the surface, I began searching for a suitable disguise, as you suggested. I stumbled across a half-elf. His mind provided much. His name is Dr. Michael Flenner, renowned chronicler and historian, and, to our benefit, biographer. I will succeed, my lord. We will find a more subtle way to harvest our food. Update. I have reached the nearest city. The doctor was expected here, so my lodgings were already assured. I will stay and perform tests with the field generator. Update. After six failed test subjects, I have fine-tuned the field so that it doesn't render the subject brain-dead, catatonic, violent, or permanently damaged. Bodies have been disposed of properly. Update. A perfect success. Test subject number 007 was unaware of the memory siphon. Time to move to phase two. Mass interviews. My lord, this is all I have to report at this time. More subjects to follow. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for checking out the trailer for Mindflayer Office Hours, my brand new podcast. My name is John Christie, and I am the voice of both Graxalor and Dr. Michael Flenner, who you will be meeting soon. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and I will see you all on episode one. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. Today, we are going to have a little bit of a different episode, I think, than we have we have had previously. We are, on face value, going to be talking about the new Marvel series, Loki, a little bit. But more specifically than that, we've got a very special guest on, and we are going to be talking about sort of fandom in general and, you know, what sort of things we all have got from the various fandoms that we subscribe to. But before before we dive into that, I am so excited to be introducing our sisters from another pod, one of them anyway, uh, one of the dynamic duo that make up the Marvelous Madams, and I, I know that that is cross-genre, but they'll let me, they're going to give me a pass on this. Madam Chris from the Marvelous Madams podcast, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. Take a minute and, and talk to us about the Marvelous Madams podcast, because I'm not sure that a lot of our listeners have found you yet. They are lacking in life for not having listened to your podcast. Oh, so please uh, tell us all about it. So every week, Amy and I discuss all the films and shows of the extended Marvel Universe. So we're including there not just the MCU, but Netflix shows. If Disney Plus would slow down for half a second, possibly the X-Men and, you know, other parts of Marvel properties. But We've pretty much been Disney's Plus specific since WandaVision began. And, you know, we come at things from a feminine, inclusive perspective. The show is awesome. Like, your show is incredible. Liwanika and I are both big fans. And this is a, a, a collaboration that we've been trying to put together for a while now. And I'm, I'm really, really excited to have you on here. And to talk about something that is, again, it's going to be a little bit different scope of show than certainly for us. And I think for, for you too, kind of, kind of talking about not diving into the fandom, but more looking at the fandom from a, from a distance here and kind of talking about it. So I'm going to... I'm going to actually kick it to you, Chris, to, to kind of share the story that you shared with me that kind of got us on this path for shaping this episode in the first place. So Sure. So I think 
it's safe to say nobody really knew what to expect going into the Loki premiere. And from everything I've seen out there in fandom on social media, a lot of people had the same reaction I did, in which at the end of the episode, when we understand Loki's purpose as decreed by the timekeepers, the space lizards, is to do nothing but cause pain and suffering and death. That was quite the gut punch. And just even like the way that they so explicitly sort of stripped him away of everything that he held as his own identity. Like he, he had painted himself in this in this particular way and how, you know, not unlike basic training or when you go to prison or, or you know, like all these sort of like real world life changing experiences when your identity is stripped away and you are very much painted in a new reality that you need to be in to fit in, right? Something that I very much did when I went to college the first time. But yeah, I think that that was really poignant. So not only that, the fact that they've both decreed and taken away his purpose at the same time and taken that control, they literally and figuratively stripped him, but also placed upon him that collar. It's the combination of those things that resonated so hard for me. And this is a character I already related with from the word go because of the family dynamics. But this was an area that I was not in any way prepared for. So two days before this show premiered, I was diagnosed with lupus. And for those who aren't familiar, it is a pretty nasty autoimmune disease. So I also have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, as well as autoimmune hypothyroidism. And these issues go back 22 years for me. So I started, for lack of a better word, getting sick when I was 12. And so one of the things that these disorders can do, especially together, is just steal your brain. You can't focus or stay awake or process anything. And it has such severe effects on the nervous system as well. And at that age, my entire identity was wrapped around the fact that I was the smart kid. I got straight A's in school. I was the good little girl, got, you know, was on all the academic teams and all that stuff. And then pow, I start to get hit with all these symptoms that no one can explain and found myself having to drop out of certain honors classes and ask for more time to study for tests or all different kinds of things that were just like the ultimate humiliation for me. And so Loki having his magic taken away by the TVA, which is also such an integral part of his identity and having everything familiar, I was just like, "Mm -mm, no. No, no, you didn't. It, like, I I didn't even need to see the fascist propaganda. That was enough for me to despise the TVA. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine. I remember when when you first kind of told me that story and I was like, oh, man, like that that makes that makes so much sense. And I I, I first of all, I really appreciate you sharing that story because deeply personal. It's always difficult to air knowing, you know. Knowing that, I mean, this is a public podcast. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's not a shared experience. So kind of like letting me in and and seeing, to speak personally just for me and not even all the, not not the listeners that are on, but just like letting me in and kind of seeing like, oh man, this is a whole other angle to the show that I didn't see, that I didn't feel. And so it really kind of speaks volumes to to sort of the depth and the kind of the way that they're messaging the, the particular show, the way that they're painting the TVA in that light that, to have it resonate with you so personally is is really pretty incredible. So, and, you know, I know, so then Lee Wanika, when I was telling you kind of about Chris's story, you were talking about experiences that you had and kind of bridging that gap also and, and sort of things that you'd seen. Yeah, so watching Loki, not just in this show, but primarily in this show, this kind of brought it full circle for me. When I first watched Tom Hiddleston play the role in Thor, which I am a big fan of the first Thor movie, and and, and I am an outlier there. It is one of my top five. You know the episodes I'm talking about when you speak about the the first Thor movie. 
but we are right in sync as far as Dark World. That <laughs> we're right on. There was something about Loki that I really identified with and liked, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Wasn't really sure. My issues with Thor Dark World were largely it was Loki's story, it wasn't Thor's story, and that's why it was weird and it didn't work, among other things. But again, there was still something that I identified with and didn't quite get. Part of it was some of these family dynamics. When you're a child from a blended family and you are watching a blended family on TV or in the movies, there are elements about that that resonate. And it's not to say your family is any of those characters, but you identify with the feelings. Not necessarily the expression, but you identify with the feelings. So some of those things hit home in a very personal, deeply personal way. Growing up for many years without being truly connected to my father's side of the family, it didn't happen until I was in my 30s, beyond one meeting. So, and again, some of these emotions that Loki and Tom Hiddleston via this character express, I truly identified with. You bring that into the current show, or actually before that, when you talk about Loki and the Avengers, and him basically giving into some of these darker impulses because he's just angry. He's just angry. I have often said in my own personal struggle with getting through life that I was an extremely angry person until I was in my 30s. It's when I came to a realization about my life, how I got there, my personal family situation, and I realized that sometimes things just happen. It wasn't to me. I just happened to be there. And accepting that reality is what changed me from being angry about all these things that I couldn't control and focusing on all the good things in my life that I could control or that I could add to. So I stopped being a detractor of the world around me and I started being additive to the world around me. And I think that was my personal story that was very important. But watching Loki not have that moment in his quote unquote 30s, Thor Dark World or whatever, truly was interesting. And I saw them trying to do this weird pivot that they didn't quite hit. And then we get to this new show and you see how he feels about all these situations that have happened. You see him being broken down in all these different ways. And it really hit home. Like it really resonated. There was a moment in the show and it was probably as he was watching things with his mother passing, a situation that I have had to deal with clearly not under those circumstances, but a, a situation I've had to deal with in the last two years that I, while thoroughly enjoying the show, it was almost hard for me to celebrate the show. That it is weird, like how I could love a, an episode of a show so much, but not feel like I could just say, woo, look at this. And I don't know if, if, we're, if we're all sharing that feeling about it. And I know Glenn, we have some similar circumstances in this arena that that really made it hard to to handle. Like I was crying with Tom Hiddleston in that moment. And it wasn't, oh, look at the sad scene on the screen. Oh, I, I cry at sad scenes because I don't often cry. That's just not something I do. I There are times I wish I could or I wish I did, but that was a moment. That was a moment and it, it, it was hard. I'm sitting at the same desk I'm sitting at now watching on the same screens and watching uh, the four of you at this moment. And it was difficult, but it was the right kind of difficult. It was that cathartic, I need this moment in my life to understand, to comprehend and move forward kind of moment. You know, there's two things you said there that I think are so important. And as they relate to the show too, is that anger leads to being reactionary. And since anger has been so much a part of Loki's existence, his primary emotion, really, along with sadness, is he always finds himself reacting to other people's behavior. And that's the driving force of his life. He thinks he's making his own decisions, but he's really not because he's just reacting. He's not taking agency. And it shows he hasn't learned yet that. You can't spend your life reacting to, to others because then your life's not your own. You have to take control. And, you know, there is a fine line there between trying to take too much control and not enough. And that's certainly something that 
I cope with on a daily basis of, you know, stressing myself out too much with trying to control my environment as much as I can, because that's the part I can control when I can't control my body so much versus not doing enough versus going too far into acceptance where you get to complacency. And, you know, what you said about Hiddleston too, you know, acting is a job like any other in a lot of ways. And just like people do in any kind of regular job, every actor has their own skill set and specialty. And having seen most of his work, I think his superpower, we'll say, is embodying pain. He does it better than anybody I've ever seen to the point where I say to myself sometimes, how does he know? How is he doing this? Even the little parts in episode one, when he's on the floor in physical pain because he just got dropped onto the floor. I don't know if you guys have ever seen him in uh, the Hank Williams biopic, I Saw the Light. I haven't seen that yet. It's actually on my list. I have not. Okay. Bad movie. Never should have been made. Amazing performance. Wasted. In that, so false advertising on that movie because I Saw the Light. Sounds like a happy movie, right? For millennials. That's solid praise for an actor, by the way, saying that their performance was amazing. They were what was worth it, but the movie was crap. Yeah, never should have been made because not a good life story for a movie. But so Hank Williams had spina bifida and all kinds of health problems because of it and ended up like having this god awful Alabama backwoods surgery in the late four. I could barely get through the movie. He was so good at just the way he moved, the way he spoke at like in this pain. That movie fucked me up. I've it's on my never again list uh, for that reason. I know a little bit about the Hank Williams story. So I knew it's on my list because I want to watch it and I want to watch Tom in it. But I know the story, knew the story well enough to know that there is nothing about this that is going to be as nice and bright and shiny as the title. Like that was, that was a very Hank Williams. I'm going to make this sound better than life actually is moment. And I actually thought that was, that, that was what actually drew me to it. I'm like, wow, that's so Hank. <laughs> that is very hang. King back into what everybody was saying about, you know, the way that the movie's hitting. Um, I think that that's actually a theme that we're seeing in a lot of TV and movies coming out now. And I personally think it's coming from the reality TV craze, which doesn't truly compare. But I think that what the reality TV craze showed is that what people want, what the audience wants is they want to see real emotion. It's not just about the crazy crap that happened on reality TV. It was the fact that it was real. It was unscripted, right? It's a lot harder to do in a scripted show, but one of the ways they're doing it is they're showing us more real human problems, whether they're addressed in a fantastic way or directly into the plot. And we've seen it all the way through the Marvel shows. It's also going on in Smallville, where basically right now what they're doing is they're humanizing our superheroes for us. And what better way to see them as human than to watch them hit that moment that we all hit. And I'm so sorry you're hitting it right now, Chris, because it's brutal. And you've already hit it before. So you've had a few a few of these moments in your life so far where whether you like it or not, something, it could be a medical diagnosis, it could be an injury, it could be a death in the family, something makes your world come full force, hard stop. And you have to start looking at who you really are, not who you thought you were, not who your monkey mind has trained you to think that you are, because we're all obsessed with the image that we build of ourselves but that image is so much enveloped into what we do, where we go, what we drive, what we wear, where we live. But not just that. I mean, it's also seriously tangled up in our pain. You know, I spent a long time in my life seriously associating with the fact and almost taking pride in the fact that I was a sad, depressed, fucked up individual. Like, yeah, nobody's as fucked up as me. Why would I want that as my identity? But it's what we do until we find one of these moments where it makes us just go, bam, like we hit a fucking wall. I just got to say, growing up with you, Glenn, through many of those experiences, when you were going through your version of I am this person, I was also going through the I'm the bad guy. Like everybody thinks I'm the bad guy. I'm the guy that nobody's parents wants their kids to hang with. I'm the bad guy. This is. There were a few of us trying to convince you different, but yes, you definitely associated hardcore with that. And I can tell you that it was you, it was uh, other very close friends that kept me tethered 
and kept me from swinging to a totally other path. I think that's the interesting thing about Loki is nobody, when he started down that path, kept him tethered. That's where I think the reality of this entirely fictional character, I think Thor tried, but I think Thor tried too late. Yeah, he was too arrogant and self-obsessed I to realize earlier. Thor, enough. before the first movie, wasn't capable of doing that. I think Thor was trying to, in Dark World Forward, why Dark World was not Thor's movie, because it was literally Thor trying to change Loki, saying, look, I love you. I've been wrong, but I want you to be better. He couldn't do that when Loki needed it most, which was before Thor one. And I am blessed by the fact that I had very strong influences and friends such as yourself, Glenn, that kept me from making that that swing. And even though I didn't get to the plus side of things for another 10, 15 years after that, the fact that I had that tether kept me open to when the change happened. I just want to jump off of that really quick and then I'll, I'll let us move on. Uh, but just something he said in there, I want to make sure nobody gets the wrong idea there. Because uh, we're talking about Thor and the fact that the Thor now, the Thor after he earned his power, once he was able to pick up his hammer again, after his father made it so that only if he was worthy would he be able to lift it. Once he earned that, he's capable of helping Loki. Before he earned that, he wasn't. And I want to throw that out there just for those of us, because we also self-identify with our guilt a lot. Um, and I recently went through uh, over a decade of helping my mom reach end of life. And it was it was really tough. And there was a whole lot of self-guilt and a whole lot of blame. And there were a whole lot of lessons. And one of the hardest was that I couldn't blame myself for not providing the better care five years in that I was able to 10 years in. It's not fair to hold yourself accountable to lessons you haven't learned yet. So if you're in that position, if you're Thor beating yourself up because you didn't help your brother earlier, you weren't capable of it then. It's not your fault. It's not your responsibility. Exceptionally good point. Really, you know, it's, it's the whole concept of you can't help somebody else until you've helped yourself, until you're in a position to be able to help, right? I mean, that you can't. You can't hold yourself accountable for things you're not physically capable of doing yet or, you know, that kind of thing, right? Lou and Nika, something that you had said earlier that I, <laughs> I think that there's going to be a lot of this, this episode where it's like, you know what? I did not see it that way until, until you said that you were talking a lot about the way that Loki had to witness what happened to his mother without being able to do anything about it. Because he was he was imprisoned on some level, uh, and 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 physically kept from being able to help. You know, it it you know my father passed away probably six or seven years ago at this point, and he had been very very sick for a long time. And it wasn't until you said that that I'd realized that on some level, that's what we were watching. Right, we were watching we were watching him be sick and we were watching him get worse and we were not able to do anything about it. And like, nobody could do anything about it because that was the whole, that was the whole problem was that nobody could do anything about it. And then I remember before he passed away that like that brief glimpse of like, Oh wait, no, he actually, he's getting better. This, there may be, there may be an end to this. And then ultimately it, that's almost like, like, like the cruel trick of it all. Right. Is that like, as soon as he started feeling better and as soon as things started looking good, that's when the wheels fell off and it all went, went very poorly, very quickly. You know, I hadn't seen that until, until you said that. And it was just one of those things like, yeah, you know what? Like watching that happen is, is it's inexplicable. You can't really, you know, and it's like, I remember when all of us as a family were kind of, you know, gathered together and the doctor was like, you know, here's the situation, you know, we can, there are things that we can do, but he's not going to get better anymore. Like he, that's just not going to happen. And, and, you know, at that point, my, my father was on a, was on a ventilator. He, he, he couldn't talk. He couldn't breathe on his own. Um, and they're like, we need to figure out what he wants at this point. You know, he was, he was still lucid. He was still awake and everything like that, which is a blessing. And so we could, we could communicate with him at least to go ahead and find out if he wanted to continue to fight or if he, if he was ready. And again, you know, at this point, my father had been in and out of the hospital pretty continually for about 10 years. And so it was not a surprise to us when he said that, that he was ready to, to let it go. And it's one of those things like it is, it was both the, the best decision that I think we ever made as a family was to listen to dad in that moment and let, 
you know, let dad go with a little bit of dignity, but also like just immeasurably hard, harder than I ever, for as much as you ever think you can prepare yourself for that kind of a decision and for that sort of a discussion, you will never be able to prepare yourself for that sort of a decision and, and kind of what that's like. And so like, I don't know. I just wanted to go ahead and say that, like, until you, until you'd said that and kind of like that, that scene of him watching his mother, like I remember watching that scene, like, oh man, why do I, why do I feel this right now? Why do I, why is this sort of emulating? Yeah. What, what is it? What is it that I'm watching? What is it that I'm feeling? And it's, and until you said that just now, Lee, I was like, oh, nope, nope. That was it. Because I, in a very different context, I'm, I am not the Lord of mischief, I promise. But yeah, it, it, it is, that's, again, speaks to his acting, just as it speaks to his acting job. Like, He's got a very expressive face. Yeah. He's he's amazing. You know, Josh, what you're saying here about what you went through with your dad, it very much mirrors exactly what Loki was looking at in the future. That cruel trick, like you said, because look, oh, things are looking good with Thor. We reconciled. And then, bam, Thanos just pulls the rug out from under it, you know? And, And like you just said, so expressive. Hiddleston's face there, I swear I've never seen him look like that before as he did reacting to that. And it's just a credit to him in that moment, because that's now, at least in my opinion, biased, yes, but doesn't mean I'm wrong, that this is one of the most powerful moments we have now. And there's no words. It's just a close-up of somebody. There's an interesting technique that happens in film and in TV, and it tends to happen around end-of-life decisions or upon the notification that an important character has passed when they notify the family member or when the military shows up at, at a spouse's home. And that's where they don't play the sound. They just show the actors acting. Usually it's a, at a distance. It's not necessarily up close. There's a reason they do that. And I think it's this. People view entertainment products, TV, movies, and so on in a, in a multitude of ways. They view them visually. They've listened to them auditorially. But there's a sense that I believe is part of the human condition where we intake emotion. So they're actually viewing via emotion. And that doesn't require any other sense. It it may be one input and then emotion can be transmitted. And so when you're watching Tom Hiddleston drop to his knees or even if he's sitting in that crouch position, which is emulating on his knees or what have you, looking at this screen, you don't even see the screen. You're just seeing his face and the flickering lights on his face. You don't have to watch necessarily what's happening. His emotion from that scene is coming through the digital medium to your body and you're feeling that. Like, I felt those emotions. I felt like I felt when I was in a parking lot. Like I had the I had the benefit and the blessing of, of being with my mom. She was sleeping the day she passed went to visit her at her home. It was near where I lived. We left. We were there for a little while. I sat with her for a moment. Got We got done. We left. Um, and we stopped at a grocery store. We were picking up a few things. Uh, and um, I remember thinking to myself, I can't get my mom's Werther's truck candies anymore because she can no longer have them. And that was kind of weird for me. I like, I like, I like going to a dollar store. And whenever I go to a dollar store, I look at the Werther's candies because of that. And as we were in the, in the parking lot leaving, we get a call from the home saying my mom had passed. So it was like less than 20 minutes after I had left her side. And so I felt in that moment, like it was that sense. It was that weird, there was no sound, there was no smell. I don't, I I imagine I was, there were sights. I don't recall them. All I was, this set of emotions in that moment and nothing else. It's an amazing thing if a show can bring that out. But like I said, it's what makes it hard to celebrate the show, even though you thoroughly enjoyed the show and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the show. Like you must watch the show is what it is, but it is not one of those woohoo kind of episodes. Like when we watch Falcon and Winter Soldier, we at the end of the first episode, we're like, yeah, let's get it. You know, but and WandaVision had its own quirks by the time you got to the end of the, the first two episodes. This was a whole different entity, which speaks greatly to Feige's vision and the various creators at, at the MCU that they can create products so well connected and yet 
so powerful experiences, each and every one of them, but yet each of those powerful experiences being so different. Um, that's an amazing thing. That's the key. They're all different, but they're all the same. It's not a separate entity. And each of them, and WandaVision's my favorite so far, by the way, um, her psychotic break from having to deal with more grief than any human being in the world has ever had to deal with before with the rewind of time. And uh, she deserved that psychotic break. And I went through that whole thing when we were talking about it, saying Wanda's kind of the villain, too. She's not the hero in this. She's enslaved these people, but she was just so effed up. Right. But in each of these shows, what we're seeing is that moment where they have to stop really look at themselves and then start to build themselves back up again. A moment of reinvention. I mean, all of these are literally Phoenix stories. They're hitting that full on burnout end of what the fuck do I do now? And having to build themselves up. You see that with Bucky in Falcon Winter Soldier. You see it with, with both of them, right? How like, you know, with, with Sam physically visiting his roots as a kid and having to, having not just to come to the realization himself that, that, that reality that he knows is is done and needs to be moved on, but also then trying to convince his sister, who has not yet bought the fact that they need to sell the boat and all that sort of stuff, right? Like he has to bring her. So it's more just like he has now he he has to to glom on to what you said earlier. He has now healed himself. He has come to grips with it, and now he can extend his hand, and now he can bring his sister out of out of the pit that she's in now too about it all. If there's a single word to describe what one of the key elements of each of the three MCU shows we've seen since Disney Plus lit up, uh, turned on the lights. It is this, agency. It is introspection, then agency, but agency is the key. Every one of these characters had to figure out why they didn't have it, understand that they didn't have it, then take it. And that's what makes them a hero. And, and I think that's amazing. And if you look at the villains in most of these stories, many, at least certainly in Winter Soldier, they were ones who took agency but didn't understand the elements of why they didn't have it well. And that's what made them a villain. It's like, I'm taking agency, I'm making a choice, but Carly didn't get, this is the wrong way to do it. You can't do to other people what they did to you just in the name of agency. You have to change the, the discussion. Right. She didn't get that. So she took agency, but because she didn't understand the agency she was taking, that made her the villain. And, and I think that's kind of a key element there to these discussions. On that, though, when we're talking about agency, I think it's really important to realize that what we're specifically talking about right now and the difference between heroes and villains is that agency doesn't just mean taking action in your life or taking hold of a specific part of your life as in looking at the outside world it's not outside of you the difference is taking agency within yourself right it's not taking an external agency the issue with with the villains is they haven't had that moment where they've had to look inside and make choices and take control of themselves from themselves because that's the first person you have to save yourself from i mean just think about how long you spend in your day with your mind just rattling off on a thousand different directions. We all do it, right? It's important. Our minds have to work. They have to think. We constantly think. But we don't have any control over it. It's just running where it wants. Until you've taken the time to look inside yourself, find your true self instead of just the exteriors you associate with, you can't move from that reactive villain to a proactive hero or heroine. Or just hero, because that's all it needs to be. You have to realize the power of your own narrative. And Loki's not there yet. He's not. He absolutely isn't. I actually had a note that I put down, and it's uh, very tabletop gamey in this regard. But if you look at Loki's story thus far, in Thor, he was an antagonist. Storyteller-controlled antagonist. Right. In Avengers, he was a straight up villain. He was the big bad in the Avengers film. Right. That we knew of. We knew he's being controlled by other folks or, or at least positioned by other folks. But he was the villain. In Thor 2, he was more of a PC slash NPC in that it was a storyteller wanting to have this person be a PC. But it wasn't supposed to be the storyteller's story. It was supposed to be the player's story. Again, why Thor 2 didn't work. Um, 
but it, Loki was in that halfway point between being able to do his own thing and, and not doing it well. And then in Thor 3, he becomes a full-on NPC or even party member to a certain extent where the storyteller is let loose control, maybe another player is playing the character. So he starts to do some things, starts to make some different kinds of decisions. And then now here we are, Loki, and he's finally a PC and he hasn't made all the right decisions yet. He's still, we're obviously, we're only two episodes in at the time of this recording. You say, has he made any right decisions yet? Like- so I think he's making some right decisions. And I think he's definitely showing, if we were to put this in tabletop game terms, he's definitely now finally a full-fledged PC character. And it's almost like the storyteller uh, said, I want to play now. I'm tired of not being able to play this character I built. Uh, somebody else run the, sh- run the show for me so I can play the character. And I think that's kind of a little takeaway for the tabletop community I want you to think about as storytellers out there. We all have those, those characters we love. Don't do this with your character. Find somebody else to run it so you can play it. Don't do a storyteller NPC and run it to the point where the story becomes yours. Play your character in a story that, that in, in the other games that you're playing in. Pick that role. Make sure you're in that role so you can do that well. And I think that that has a lot to do with why Loki's agency has been a little over the map throughout his, the, the shows because they hadn't found a, the right voice. And I think we're now finally getting the right voice for this character. He he should the voice we kind of needed all. Yeah, you you'd kind of brought up. I think actually it was it was both you and and Chris were talking about the victim complex, right? Where like. It is so easy to look at your own life and the things that have happened that are bad and say, oh, people are out to get me. I mean, it's like, you know, like I'm still that way in the car. I'm never going to like, but as far, as far as I'm concerned, every, it is it is war in the car. Like everyone is out to get me. Cars are diving. They're not following the rules of the road. Like it's like personal insult to me in the car, right? All that to go ahead and say though that like, you know, the victim complex is something that I very much, I understand it because it's how I grew up. I very much grew up in a family that was always the victim, that was always the one who had things happen to it through through no fault of our own, right? It was always that we were, people were out to get us, things were out to get us, woe is us, we can't, you know, we're just trying to take steps, we're just trying to do the thing, and people are out, people are always getting in our way, people are blah, blah, you know, all that sort of stuff, and it has taken a lot of life and a lot of therapy and a lot of realization about the way that I lived my life for a long time in that model to realize how how damaging and 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 wrong it is and was even when I was a kid you know like that kind of like there are still times to this day that I will have a flash of a memory from something when I was a kid and I will remember I will I will hear and I will parrot the narrative about what that was and it won't jive with the visuals anymore. It won't jive with the memory. I'll be like, well, wait a minute. No, that what I was told was happening doesn't happen in those situations that that can't actually be what that was. Right. You know, like people don't just repossess cars because they're mad at, you know, like they repossess cars because you didn't pay the bill. Like that's, you know, like that, that's not a mistake. People don't make that mistake. Yeah, Josh, I've had those same thoughts so many times. We might be cousins, uh, it turns out. <laughs> and that's a, it's a very, I think it's a very Catholic thing. It's a very cultural, regional, yep, thing. I, I'm from the Northeast too. And it's just, I am the way I am in large part because I didn't want to be that victim because I saw the misery it brought and you're just giving away that power every time you play the victim. I'm I'm glad that I have realized that now. And I think that I am I mean, you know, Lee Lee Glenn, you guys have known me for 20 plus years. I am I am a happier, better person now than I was then. And coming to that realization was hard. And it and and breaking out like even even once you kind of come to the realization, breaking out of that realization is harder. Yeah, breaking the habit is the second part of it. Like once you realize it, and you're like, yes. I don't want to do this the realization anymore. Realization is the easier part. Yeah, it, it's really easy to realize it, but then when it's like, well, you can't do that. It's like, but it's your reaction. It's it's like, 
it, it, it's like, and I don't mean this in a negative way because I have no problem with, with this in general, but it's like when somebody says, may the force be with you, I have a nat- like I have an instant internal monologue that almost always wants to respond and also with you. You know, in so many of these things are wrapped up in, 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 in that where it's like I have an auto response to a given stimulus and, or stimuli and, and it's like, but I have to check myself. Like, is that the right response for this situation? Does that response make sense? Is what I'm thinking happen? Does that make sense? I was a slave to cigarettes for 30 years. It's all habit. You know, and, and it, is, it, is, it is a difficult thing to manage. I would say this about myself. I wish I had realized it years earlier than I did. I would have been happier longer. It is why when people question sometimes, like, well, you just had all these things happen. You know, how are you still smiling? I'm like, because I didn't cause that. I, I, I didn't make that happen. I didn't control that. I did everything I could in the situation. It's unfortunate, but I move on. I still have my wife. I still, I still have my wife. I still have my kids. I still, I still get to get up and walk out the door on two legs, you know, and guess what? It may be raining now, but in a couple of days, the sun's going to shine again. I'll be all right. You know, I'll get through it. Um, that's not always the attitude I've had. And uh, I wish I had had it earlier. Uh, sometimes I wonder about what are some of the wonderful things that I missed while I was not in that way? You know, what are, what are some of the cool things that I notice every now that I notice now that I didn't have the opportunity to notice before taking the opportunities we get is, is kind of important. You know, what was missed and, 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 I think that's all wrapped up in, in all of this. And it's amazing how all the ways we relate to these characters personally lead to so many different interpretations of the movies themselves. Like you were saying before, Lee Winika, about the original Thor, you know, it's Thor's coming of age story. I actually see it the opposite. I think part of the problem with the first Thor is the same as Thor the Dark World. I see it as Loki's story. He is the protagonist of that movie, especially because of where he goes in the Avengers. And that's because I identify with him so much. I see him as trying to be seen and be validated as the black sheep of a family who has never truly understood him and has failed to take their own personal responsibility at every turn for their actions. You know, I've been that wronged person. I've been through that same journey. And if in a different way for me of just looking at the people around you and wondering, how did I come from you? And how do I change? Because I don't want to be that. And he definitely went a different way than I did uh, with it. But yeah, at some point it's that, like you said, it's the realization you have to take personal responsibility for your own thoughts and actions and recognize and have enough empathy to recognize that you don't want to do to others what was done with you. And I think that's a problem for Loki is that he has a conscience, he has empathy, and it terrifies him. He shuts it down as fast as he can. In that break room scene, in episode two, in that in the lunch scene there in episode two, when he asks Mobius, you know, are you familiar with Ragnarok? And Mobius says, yeah, the destruction of Asgard, the whole planet, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. It takes Loki back for just a second that anybody would say, I'm sorry. And he's just like, yep, yeah, yeah, very sad. Just roll right over it because he can't deal with that. Yeah, he's not. He dealt with it ish in that he at least experienced it but he has not processed it and he wasn't willing to process it. He was not willing to let down the veneer to process it in that moment. He had a goal and a mission. He was going to explain this thing, prove himself brilliant and, and get back on track. Like I think Loki is desperately, at least as of episode two, trying to get back on track. Well, he needed acceptance. He needed acceptance in that moment from Mobius on some level, right? He needed because, so I think, I think that had they dove into his emotions around Ragnarok, it it would have taken that scene the wrong direction. And it's also because again, Loki at this point has been has been 
Mobius has very much been the symbol of the power that Loki has lost in this entire thing because he's the only one that he's dealing with. He's the only one that believes in Loki. Every, he, Loki realized that everybody else is away from him and he needs Mobius to be like, yep, Loki, you are right. You're, you're okay. Like he needs validation. Yeah, like, like that. Hey, look, I'm not a bad guy. I can help. Look at look at look at this, you know, like, you know, and let's be honest. He's egotistical. Yeah. I can't even tell you how many times between the ages of like 12 and 22. All I wanted to hear more than anything in the world from my family was you're right. You know, and I think Loki has to realize that at some point, especially now, like all those people that could give you that validation, buddy, that that approval you're still looking for, they're dead. Your parents are dead. Are you waiting for that? Because it's never going to happen. You know, there was an episode. Do you guys ever watch The West Wing? Oh, yeah. Many times. Many, many times. Okay. So when Adam Arkin was guesting as President Bartlett's therapist, he said, are you still looking for your father's approval? And he says, no. Good, because he's dead. It's a hard balance sometimes of you know, living up to expectations while still being yourself and honoring those you love, but also forging your own path. And I think Loki is having those major struggles. Further, Loki's also dealing with not just all of those negative emotions and having uh, having it all stripped away and broken down. And it's something that we haven't brought up much because it is harder to relate to, but something else Loki's seriously going through, and I'm really interested to see how much they show it because it would be hard for them not to, is he's, he's also seriously battling shame, a deep sense of guilt and shame. And guilt is okay. It's okay to feel guilt. It's okay to realize your responsibility for something that caused negative and try to fix it. But shame is not because it'll eat you up and it'll last a lifetime if you don't find a way to defeat it because we talked about the scene with his mom and how she died for so long and we took it to that powerful place of losing a parent but loki's also dealing with the fact that he's now learning that his thoughtless actions had consequences and he caused his mother's death and that's going to be a lot harder for him to get over and his mom was crucial his mom was a key character flip point for him if he didn't have that, I don't think he would have been able to do what he's about to do to try to change. If he didn't have that deep personal connection to show him that his thoughtless actions do cause harm, not to random people you've never met, not to a faceless stranger, but to your loved ones. Well, I would argue he even sees it with the strangers because it's right before that. And when Mobius shows him pulling out the eyeball, he can't look at it. His head's down. He's fidgeting. He can't even bring himself to look at it. He absolutely hates himself when it comes down to it. And you can never learn to love yourself again until you can find a way to master that shame and forgive yourself for what you've done. And that'll be his biggest battle. Whether or not he can actually reinvent himself, having having now been emotionally stripped down of everything that he is and everything that he has he's he everything that he has done has been splayed out in front of him in all of its gory details, whether he wants to look at it or not. He he is now sitting down and being shown it like here's look at what you did they've rolled up the newspaper and they're batting him on the nose right look at what you did um is how does he what what happens and and again what happens after he steps through that door what happens next i think is going to be really really important to where loki goes does he revert does he say you know what fuck all that i'm i'm loki i'm loki you know or does he actually grow? And that's, we don't know yet. He's been growing. He has walked through the door. I think he's gonna. He's been growing through the movies. I think this series is an opportunity to show him finish growing. Big step. But what are they gonna do with him afterwards? They killed him. I I think this series is how, is the process of, of, of the change. This is, it's not, I want to change, and and I think that's I think that's what these series they're bridging the gaps between the films in that when we see the next iteration, those of us who were smart enough and lucky enough to be able to watch all these shows in between, we will have the benefit of saying, yeah, this makes good sense. Whereas anybody else is going to be like, it was a great movie, but as he's really different, you know, and that's how they're going to walk away from it. But if you were watching all these shows. And seeing how everything progresses, you'll be like, wow, that was satisfying. Like, and that's really what I think the shows were. I think this is their design purpose 
is to make the changes satisfying. So when we were talking about Loki watching the, the previous scenes, specifically the Colson scene, and then that shifting into the scene with his mother's passing, it very much reminded me of Malcolm McDowell's scenes at, towards the end of A Clockwork Orange. And the only thing that was missing was the two things that pry his eyes open so he's forced to watch. Like he was actually strapped into the chair and forced to watch the scenes. It was very reminiscent of that. I Like just the way the screens flickered and you're watching the person watching versus watching the scene that they're watching was very Kubrick to me. <laughs> and I, I noticed it was something that interesting and I actually said that was kind of cool and it's this discussion that made me think about where that came from. That plus... I think yesterday was Malcolm McDowell's birthday. I think he turned 78 or, or something like that. So, Yeah, that's why I'm so beyond excited for episode three. I think there's going to be a major reckoning. And this is, this is going to finally be Loki hitting rock bottom and having nowhere else to go. And he's, I think, going to cling to Mobius in a way, too, as the only person left who cares about him even a little bit yeah because everybody else in that room thinks he has now turned heel again right everybody else everybody except for mobius has no faith in him i have faith in the surveillance footage please look at it mobius that's what i'm holding on to right now because we saw the variant looking at the store through the cameras so i'm hoping that she's on there they see it that he did not do this that she was the one who did this i hope video evidence yeah we can only hope I, I, I am so looking forward to that. Unfortunately, I, 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 after our talk, when we recorded the episode for Marvelous Madams and listening to your episode one, it, uh, I, I am, I truly wonder where Mobius's head is at. I mean, I think I probably approached that episode thinking Mobius was closer to the side of light than the side of himself than he probably is. So uh, I have you to thank for that, Chris. Thank you very much for putting that little nugget of doubt in my head. But uh, yeah, so I wonder if how much faith Mobius actually has in him versus how much Mobius just recognizes he's the only one that he can use to get towards his own ends. Yeah. And you know what's so hard about it is Owen Wilson is so likable. There's never been a role where I don't want to like him. And that's a factor. That's one of the reasons he is so perfectly cast. Honestly, a while back when I had found out that Owen Wilson was going to be on the show, I thought they were out of their minds. I was very concerned about it. I'm like, I can't imagine him fitting in. And now I can't see anybody else playing Mobius. I, I had seen him in the Royal Tannenbaums, I think it was, and something else that was a little side from his standard role. But he still did his own Wilson thing. Like, he doesn't not do that, right? But... I remember thinking, I think he can make this turn. It's, it's, uh, there's certain actors who are so well known for a specific comedic thing that the few times they step out of it, they're brilliant. Bill Murray comes to mind when he did Lost in Translation. Robin Williams in any number of films. I, I, I think of less of Robin Williams in that regard because of how many times he's done it. Like he's just able to be in anything he wants to be in and, and is good. He evolved like Tom Hanks. Right. Tom Hanks is another one where, the first couple times, yes. But after the first couple times, I'm like, that's just who he is. It was just their next evolution. Yeah. For ones that just kind of step out for a brief moment and then go back in, Will Ferrell has done a couple roles that are in serious films or dramatic films that I thought were, were brilliant. And Adam Sandler, oh my goodness, Rain, Rain Over Me was one of the greatest films I've ever watched. John Cheadle, Adam Sandler, absolutely watch it if you ever get a chance to. It's a powerful film. That's amazing. And then Spanglish was another one where Adam Sandler just flat killed it. Flat killed it in that movie. So I think there's more comedic actors, you know, going this route now because they're realizing that they don't have to be pigeonholed too. Who expected Bill Burr to show up on The Mandalorian? I sure didn't. And, and thank every single deity in any universe that he did because he was flat brilliant. Flat brilliant. Yeah. I, I don't know what was more surprising, that Bill Burr showed up as an actor on The Mandalorian or that Bill Burr as a character is in Star Wars. Like, I'm not sure, like, which, you know, because, I mean, Bill Burr just, like, went out and, like, did, he was, like, he was Bill Burr. Like, I don't, like, he had a name, but it was Bill yeah. Burr. Like, he was, he was like, himself. How did he get you know, to a time genius. long, a galaxy far, far away and long, long ago? Like, how did that happen? 
I think with actors like stepping into these roles, it's great that they can do that thing that's a bit signature, but they can take on a serious role and be very different. I think that's absolutely amazing. And I look to actors like that. And when they first cast Owen Wilson, I remember my first thought was, wow, both Wilson brothers are going to be on uh, genre shows, right? And it's going to be awesome. And interesting, I think Owen made a bigger departure from what he normally does than Luke did and uh, with Stargirl. And Luke is excellent on Stargirl. I, I love his character. I think he's he's fun uh, playing the, the father of abundant parents and this, trying to do the superhero thing and keep his family safe and but not being an actual superhero and trying to deal with that whole I was a sidekick thing is awesome. I think he does a great job of it. But I, I think Owen truly stepped it up uh, and, and is a whole nother level above at this point, uh, at least in so much as what he's doing. So let's try to put a bow on this. So we have been talking a lot about how how we see ourselves through uh, through kind of the lens of fandom in the shows and the, and the things that we're watching and sort of how we're taking very personal reference from and very per- and and it, it uh, relearning very personal experiences from these first of all everyone it's a fabulous discussion um uh and a really like i said i guess like at the beginning of the show and I'm, I'm glad that it came to be that an important one and i think that um you know very different from anything else i think that has a uh, has appeared on uh, on our show uh, in particular i mean uh, other than maybe the discussion from six months ago where we talked about about ptsd uh Luanika. so uh you know um let, let's go around and just kind of get some final thoughts why don't you go ahead guard We've been talking about the the shows and how we and the characters and how we relate to them because and that is an important factor for us. So not just in terms of shows like Loki and WandaVision or the movies, but even into our role playing lives. You know, when we're when we're getting involved in the story, part of it is so that we can connect to it, so we can feel that emotion and maybe see what that person did to handle it and work that into our own mind. That's why, you know, oh, look, kids, there was a moral behind the story has been a part of our lives, our whole lives. Sometimes they just weren't very good morals. We, we know this. But another part of it is this, the stories really help us because we've also talked a lot about kind of self-awareness and the, the, the torture and the guilt and things that we put through our own minds. So we should also be aware that a lot of times when we're watching a show or getting into a character, it's also for the escape. And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Because if you can get all the way into the story, if you can immerse yourself, it quiets your monkey mind. You're not thinking about whether or not you're going to have enough money to pay the rent this month. And you're not thinking about whether or not your car is going to break down tomorrow or that your sister uh, is in rehab again or any of those other things. You're going to get into what you're doing. And that's a good thing because you need that break and you need that release until you start learning to make that gap, that space on your own. Um, gap and monkey minder. I won't go all the way into that, but regardless, you need that, but don't overuse it. You know, don't become that person. Like I was at various points in my life to get sucked into something like world of Warcraft for like, Oh, nine hours a day when I'm not working or sleeping because then you're not living your life. You're living an escape. So, uh, like all things, our entertainment should be used with a little bit of moderation too, but there's nothing wrong with letting stories help you through a tough time, both to learn the lesson and, to give you a little bit of an escape from the grind of your mind. So I fully and wholeheartedly support everything Glenda said, like full, full, full stop, man. That is absolutely the case. I think it's very easy for all of us to find a thing that we just, this is helping me get away from it and then just stay in it. And it can be multiple things. It can be, there are all kinds of iterations. Sometimes it's entertainment, sometimes it's video game. Sometimes it's uh, a substance or a bottle. Sometimes it's it, it's running or whatever. They're, like human beings are amazingly adaptable at finding ways to not deal with the, with their reality. And if we are locked into that one thing, to the exclusion of all else, it becomes a bad thing. So, extremely well stated. I would say this: trying to relate all of this discussion and kind of going back to our PTSD discussion that we had last year. I had made the decision that I was going to play a character that touched on those themes because I felt it was important to deal with and talk about those themes in some way. Uh, but I didn't want it to be the identifying piece of that character or the identifying part of my game. 
Um, and, and I think I've done a pretty decent job of that while still being fair and decent to those who um, deal with those situations on a regular basis. And I would say a lot of the topics that we're talking about today, especially as they are being dealt with in Loki, fall into the same, same, same kind of bucket. It's if you want to play characters that include some of these themes, or you want to do these things, or if you're doing a television show where this is going to be the part of your part of what you're putting together, there's ways to do it so it is not a caricature. Um, there are ways to do it so it shows the level of importance, but still shows a level of understanding and respect to people who are dealing with these issues. If done well, you get Loki. If done poorly, you get single episodes with a mission statement and a PSA send-off from the cast at the end of the episode and never talk about the topic again and never deal with the ramifications of what was discussed in the episode again. I think those of us... I, you know, those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s know that because every show we ever watched by season three, there was a PSA episode at least three times a season. One of them was usually one of the three holiday episodes, but there was always a, oh, and this is, you know, this is, this is the dare episode, different strokes looking at you, you know, and we never talk about it again. You know, that's the way to do it badly. But there's always a way to do it well. And, you know, kudos to the MCU for once again finding a way to do some of these things well. You know, they, they really did a great job with it. And I think that's awesome. For all the tabletop storytellers out there, again, use your safety tools, find out what topics are okay, what people are okay with, figure out your, your hard lines and your veils as far as what you will not talk about and deal with what you may touch on, but you're not going to show on screen, so to speak. And I think it can be a way to let people come out of their shells. And in some cases, literally come out if we're talking about other issues. Here we are in the middle of Pride Month. I think these all wrap up together. Like We have this amazing vehicle called entertainment. We have this amazing medium called the internet. We can connect with billions. Let's be sure we're out there doing that. But while we're doing that, let's be sure we're being respectful of people's hard lines and their veils and doing it well. The game table is a great place to start. Conversations like this is a great place to take it to that next level. Um, and uh, I just love the fact that we had the opportunity to do it. All right, Chris, let's take us home. So I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason and that certain things come into our lives at the right time. And entertainment is absolutely a part of that. And as soon as this show ended, the, the premiere, I thought, oh my God, this is exactly the show that I need in my life right now because I am going on this same journey simultaneous with Loki. For him, the new knowledge, the life-changing knowledge that he is receiving is knowing the consequences of his actions learning of his future and his purpose. And for me, it's this new diagnosis that is driving change. So while I am, you know, adjusting to a whole new regimen of supplements and, you know, getting a new bed and cushions and making all these different scheduling and lifestyle adjustments as I, you know, adapt to this new reality, he is doing the same thing of going through this with the TVA. And that's why they're the big bad for me, because I know he's going to rail against them. For me, the TVA is the representation of every shitty, ignorant, misogynistic, or just lazy doctor that I've had over the last 22 years who dismissed me at every turn or misdiagnosed and just represents an entire system that is poorly designed and that does not serve the purpose it's supposed to. And I have never been so emotionally invested as a story in a story as I am now. I will give him the matches and the gasoline to set fire to that place. Because that's what I did, you know, two years ago when I said, all right, doctors, I've given you 20 years. 
to try and fix me. You've done nothing but make it worse. So I'm done. And, you know, started acupuncture and natural uh, naturopathy. And it's it's helped me tremendously. So so I am Loki's biggest cheerleader right now. I am going through this journey with him and can't wait to see him rise and come out the other side. All right, let's call it an episode. Chris, thank you so very much for joining us. Please let everybody know where we can uh, where we can find the Marvelous Madams podcast uh, because it absolutely should be listened to. So, Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me. This was wonderful. So we are on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Marvel Madams. And you can check out our website. We have a blog there too, uh, the, uh, the And we're out on all the podcast platforms. Be sure when you're listening to, to the show, you then talk to the madams on Twitter. Because what I have found is all the conversations I am trying to have with them while I'm in my car driving to work listening to the podcast, they can't hear that. But if I wait, if I safely pull to the side of the road and then type to them on Twitter, by the time I get where I'm going, I've usually got it. <laughs> so. Cool. Awesome. We will make sure and put a link to all that in our show notes so that uh, all of our listeners can check out your awesome, awesome podcast. Uh, and really, everybody, check them out. They are, Chris and Amy are doing some of the smartest, best commentary on these shows on the internet right now. So really, uh, if you think that she sounded smart on this show, uh, she is three times as smart with, without, without, without us three dragging her down. So that's a, you know, <clears throat> so... Chris, gentlemen, thank you very much. Everybody out there listening, uh, thank you for for taking the time to to listen to this episode and and letting us talk about something that we don't normally talk about. And hope hope that you all found this meaningful um, as we did. And uh, yeah, check out the marvelous Adams and make sure you like and subscribe us too. So thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, audience, and we will talk again soon. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.